The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Amplify. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Well, welcome to a great show we have planned here. I am speaking live in Las Vegas. I had to switch my time clock to Pacific time so I wouldn't be late for the show by three hours. And we have an amazing guest. I met him at Digital Footprint. Uh, Thank you to Ken Courtright and Kerry Courtright for really creating an event that is a must-attend event. I am going to turn the microphone over to Gita so she can give a powerful bio and we'll bring our guest on in a couple minutes. Thank you so much, Ken, for the honor. It's it's my amazing pleasure to just talk even a little bit about Steve Farber. Steve Farber is listed as one of the Inc.'s global top leadership and management experts. He has shaken up and redefined what it means to be a leader of substance, significance, and success. He's one of the world's most in-demand leadership speakers and the best-selling author of three groundbreaking books, The Radical Leap, listed as one of the 100 best business books of all time, The Radical Edge, a playbook for harnessing the power of human spirit greater than yourself, a USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestseller. Whatever the challenge at your organization, improving customer service, coping with change, inspiring transformation, improving corporate culture, recruiting and retaining great talent, building teamwork, fostering innovation. It all comes down to this. Someone has to something significant and enlist others to help. Someone, in other words, has to lead. And Steve Farber's extreme leadership framework is a new and vital paradigm for exciting and challenging times. A big warm welcome to you, Steve. Over to you, Ken. Thank you. Steve, I'm starting to get the impression this leadership thing is kind of important. Like it's something that you should really pay attention to. I mean, what do you say about that? Uh, Yeah, you're just starting to get that impression. That's good. You know, waking up is a good thing. Um, (laughs) First of all, I'd like to thank Gita for the lovely eulogy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so leadership is, uh, listen, I've been been a business guy in some form or another for for 30 years, and I've been in leadership development in particular for the last 25 years, and I've worked with, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say just about every kind of organization and every kind of industry you can imagine, and, and one, not that I have it all figured out, by the way, but one thing that's really clear is that the, the, the quality of a company comes down to the quality of its leadership. The quality of an anything that involves human beings comes down to the quality of its leadership, so it just made a lot of sense to me to focus on that. That's where the greatest leverage is and to really try to figure out what that really means because it's such a broad umbrella. 
It means so many different things to so many different people. So we can all agree that it's important, but where we, uh, where we tend to, you know, go astray a little bit is in identifying exactly what it is. Okay, so how do you know when an extreme leader is joking? Because I took a dare from this person to kiss Jack Canfield on the lips, a big juicy one. And uh, I thought it was a leadership challenge, and I was thinking this is extreme leadership in the making. So uh, Jack Canfield's here at a bug-free mind, and that person is, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. It's you, Steve. You told me to kiss Jack Canfield, and this was not a good situation. So when do I know to tell you as a leader, this is not good advice? Okay, so... um yeah, so I asked you to give Jack a big wet kiss on the lips for me. And, uh, and you're wondering if that was a leadership challenge. That's exactly. That's your question, right? Okay. Yes, yes. Um, no, I was just testing to see how much of an idiot you are. <laughs> well, you know, I, I forgot the part of telling him it was from you. That was, that, was, that was the other problem, I think, that was uh, kind of confusing for Jack. <laughs> you have to give I, I, I was hoping maybe you'd give him a little context first <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just went um, all in no but but I will say I will say that uh, that as uh, as uh, provocative as that challenge sounds it, it comes from the right place I just love Jack Canfield I love I love the guy so I, I wanted well, you to uh, convey that for me in well he, and he did get the message he did get the message he got the message and he <laughs> smiled and he was very he, he, he was fondly saying, I hope that I can see Steve and get the kiss myself personally. So uh, the, the next mark is on you, okay? Excellent. Actually, well, I'll see him in July, so we'll be able to – I'll put that in my calendar. What's happening in July? Jack. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I'm a member of the Transformational Leadership Council, uh, which, is, which is the um, uh, organization, for lack of a better word, that Jack started. So, you know, it's a bunch of authors and seminar leaders and people in the so-called transformational industry. Um, right. So we have a meeting a couple times a year, and uh, we got one coming up over the summer, and I think uh, pretty sure I'll be at it. So I'll see him there. Well, call me crazy, but that sounds like a really good event for people to go to that care about leadership and transformation. Well, yeah, see, here's the thing. It's, uh, it's a membership organization, so it's not, right. it's not a public, it's not a public uh, event. Um, and it's, uh, it's one of those things where, you know, you have to be invited to join and, and all of that. So it's, so you, um, so you're kind of special yeah, in this situation. Yeah, it, it is. And it's kind of, it's interesting, you know, I, I, I love it. And I love, I love the people that are involved. You know, Jack, Jack started it a long time ago. And some of the early members who've been there for a long time are people like, you know, John Gray and Marcy Shimoff, who I've known forever. And, and, uh, you know, some really influential people. In, uh, in the transformational industry, uh, such as it's called. And it was really interesting for me because, you know, I don't really come from that industry. Uh, I, mean, I, I'm, I mean, I guess I kind of do, but it's just not called that. I, I come out of the business world, not so much the personal development world, right? So right. it was really an honor to be invited to join that. And, uh, and you know, the first, uh, the first meeting I went to, I was... I didn't really know what to what to expect, right? Because, for one thing, a group of people that refers to themselves as transformational leaders seemed a little bit, you know, maybe presumptuous. But uh, but indeed they are, and they're wonderful. 
And I was kind of expecting to walk into a whole, uh, you know, forest full of massive egos, and I didn't. Uh, I just met some amazing people and have, have, uh, have made some great friends. And, and that's where I got to know Jack a little bit. I can't say that I know him well, but, you know, we've talked for a couple of hours and hung out together, and I just, I mean, honestly, I just freaking love the guy. He's completely genuine, authentic, very wise, and, uh, and funny as shit. I mean, he's a really right. funny dude. So um, I'm happy to be a part of it. It's a great thing. It's very important you declare your intention. So his name for that group is him, in my opinion, declaring the intention of what he wanted to create with that group. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it, there's, there's kind of you know, something about when you say, yeah, I'm a member of the Transformational Leadership Council, uh, there's something about that that says, well, I, I damn well better do my best to live up to that. <laughs> that sounds pretty lofty. <laughs> And I do. I try my best to live up to that, I, I must say. Well, one of the reasons I wanted you on the show, Steve, is that I, I met you last year at the Digital Footprint. Really enjoyed your talk, and uh, I, I'd certainly like you to share a little bit of the, the tips and the expertise that you brought to that event. But I read a Forbes article probably about a month or two later in which you, you said these are six uh, events that entrepreneurs must attend, must attend events, and I was doing roughly three of them out of the six, and I said, i got to meet this guy because he's actually in the know of what events really make a difference and where you should spend your time and where you're going to get the most value. So uh, if, you would, if you wouldn't mind sharing with the audience uh, what, your, what those events are or if you have any new ones you'd like to add. Yeah, so that was actually for, uh, for Inc., not, not Forbes. Um, okay. And I write, I write a column there uh, that theoretically is weekly, <laughs> but I'm a little... I'm a little behind. Don't tell my don't tell my editors. <laughs> I don't want them. I don't want them chasing after me. Um, but uh, I, you know, it's interesting because I, I wanted to write. I wanted to call attention, you know, to some of the to some of the better uh, conferences, and and some of them I've actually been to, and some of them I, I recommended uh, by by reputation. Okay. And you know, digital footprint obviously was uh, was uh, one of those. And I, um, I I chose to focus on events that had had a number of qualities to them. First of all, uh, they they're not uh, pitch fests. You know what I mean? They're not. Yep. You know how a lot of these events, and maybe you know some of your listeners have been to more than one of these. A lot of these events are essentially a series of infomercials where each speaker finishes with, with a compelling offer to run right now to the back of the room <laughs> and buy this deal that's special for you today. And if you don't do it, you're doomed. <laughs> I, 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 I hate those things. So the, so the ones that I chose to focus on were not that. Now, maybe there's a little bit of selling that goes on. But if it does, it's very subtle and very um, uh, just, you know, it, it, it's done in a sort of way. Yeah, yeah, and authentic. And, and plus, uh, you know, um, conferences that have really good content and conferences that have really good fellow participants. So I mentioned, um, I mentioned Secret Knock, uh, which I'll be, I'll be going to uh, here in a couple of weeks, I guess it is. Uh, CEO Space, which I've been to a couple of times, and now I'm, I'm the faculty there. Um, that's uh, that's a just a really great community of people that go to that. 
and, and a couple of others, but Digital Footprint is the, is the one that, um, that to me is the most surprising in the sense that um, I hadn't heard of it before until I was invited to attend last year uh, at the one in Irvine. And I, uh, I was just really blown away by the quality of the speakers and the quality of the, of the group and that there was, there was really no selling. Um, and virtually no selling, just a little bit here and there, but nothing, you know, nothing uncomfortable. So then I went back this, you know, this year at the one in Atlanta, which just happened, what was it, last month, I guess? Yes. And, uh, and I, spoke, I spoke at this one, and it was even better. It was, it was, it was amazing. Every speaker was just phenomenal. Um, so, and, and the group, the, you know, the participants were, were just fantastic. So, you know, you can see that article. Um, it's called uh, Seven Conferences Every Entrepreneur Should Attend in 2017. It's, a, you know, a short, snappy headline. <laughs> um, but check it, out to see, check it out to see the other ones. But uh, those, those were the top three as far as I was concerned, even though, you know, I, I, I listed seven. Um, those are the ones I really like the best. And you have an event coming up, don't you? I do. Yeah, I do. My, my events are, are different in that they're... Uh, they're more focused and they're a little bit smaller. So I have, you know, I have a, a workshop called the Extreme Leadership Workshop, which is based on my body of work, and we can certainly talk about that. Uh, that's a one-day workshop here in San Diego. The next one is August 16th. But then I also license and certify people to facilitate that workshop. So for people that are staying for the full four days, they're going really deep into this material. And as, as one of my participants who also happens to be um, the president of a half a billion dollar company called Marco's Pizza, as he put it, you know, the, um, the best way to learn something is to learn how to, is to teach it. So, uh, so a lot of people stay for certification just to go deeper into the, into the uh, knowledge themselves. So that's the August 16th through the 19th, and we capped that at 20 people, actually. So it's a very intimate group. And, and it's, I know I'm biased when I say this, it is, it's extraordinary. I mean, it really is. It's, a diff, it's not a conference. It's a workshop and a certification. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't put my own event on this list <laughs> because it's in a different category. Otherwise, I would have if they would have let me. <laughs> of course, of course. Well, you know, before we go much further in this interview, there's probably a lot of the audience saying, is this doggone extreme leadership? And before you answer that, Gita has a question that she is so excited to ask. Gita, go ahead and ask the question now. Yes, I'm, I'm ready to ask this question. We started off with extreme leadership. So how does it differ from what we normally call leadership, Steve? Yeah, so the, the phrase extreme leadership is, is one that, that um, you know, I chose deliberately because it sounds, well, I mean, obviously, it sounds extreme. And, and what I'm really kind of trying does. to say is this. <laughs> I know, it's, it's subtle. <laughs> but uh, the, the thing is that leadership is, is a word that we use too loosely. We use it as a label or a title that we slap on ourselves or we slap on other people without really thinking much about the implications and, and about the stakes. And, and it's become, you know, it's become a, a, just a, a, a designation of a position of authority. And, it, and leadership is not about that. It's not about your position. It's not about your title. So if you have a title of, let's say, CEO, it doesn't automatically make you a leader. And if you have no title, you're a solopreneur you're, or you work for somebody else and you're on the front line, it doesn't mean that you're not a leader or can't be. 
But leadership is, is anybody, a leader is anybody, regardless of their position or title, who sticks their neck out in order to change things for the better. That's real leadership, and that's extreme. In other words, real leadership is extreme leadership and vice versa. So all I'm trying to say is, well, there's a lot that I'm trying to say, but one of the things <laughs> I'm trying to say is that if your leadership endeavors don't feel extreme, if you don't feel, if you don't feel like you're putting yourself at risk, if you don't feel like you're, like you're really passionate about it, if you don't feel like you're having an impact, then you're not really leading. It, it should feel extreme. So push it to the point where it scares you a little bit, and then you know you're in the game. So that's the, the, the concept. But the framework for extreme leadership, un, it, it unravels another level to this whole thing. So here, here's, this is what it is. The extreme leader is a person who, with conscious intent, cultivates love, generates energy, inspires audacity, and provides proof. So that's the LEAP, L-E-A-P, framework for extreme leadership. And at the core of everything that I teach and all the work that I do, and remember, even in the most hardcore of hardcore businesses, is that love is the foundation of leadership, and love is just damn good business. It's a, it's a hardcore business principle. And there are very few business people, as you can imagine, that uh, will use the word love even in the same sentence as business, let alone try to operationalize it and practice it as a business principle. So that's, so that's extreme. In, in the, I mean, I don't think this is extreme, but in the mindset of a lot of business people, that's extreme in and of itself. Well, we're going to come back to the love message, actually. Yeah. And, and I wanted to ask you, uh, since I just went to LeaderCast, have you heard of LeaderCast? That's John Maxwell's um, event, or was yeah. his event? Okay, we, I, I was just there in Atlanta for the Alive, and their, uh, their theme this year was purpose. And I loved how they talked about leaders bringing the purpose throughout the community, throughout the culture of the entire organization. What do you think about that? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, purpose, meaning, mission, vision, uh, values, um, they're, they're all very closely related. And, you know, it's, it's great because it's a conversation, you know, having come from the leadership development world and the organizational development world and, and consulting and coaching and all that for the last two and a half decades, this is a conversation that we started having quite some time ago. I mean, in the, in the mid-90s, we started having, you know, real conversation about meaning at work. And right. I'm, I'm gratified to see that the conversation is not only continuing, but it's expanding. So now it's getting to the point where, you know, when you look at the, the millennial generation and the next generation, you know, that's coming up after them, this is not going to be a, a question of, oh, by the way, what's, you know, is, is this meaningful work? It's just going to be an expectation. I want to do something that has purpose. I want to do something that's going to have an impact. I want to do something that's going to change the world. This is what more and more becoming the expectation for new talent that's coming into the workplace, and it's a phenomenal thing. People in my generation, in our generation, you know, we, we've, been, we've been kind of trained to believe that purpose and meaning and value are things that you experience at night and on the weekends, and work is something you do to make money, period. Right. 
Mm-hmm. But what we're all coming to understand is that they are not mutually exclusive ideas. It's not that you you know you can't you know, this idea you can't mix money with meaning. Of course you can. Of course you can. We should we should be we should be making money, uh, experiencing personal joy and meaning in our lives, and changing the world for the better all at the same time. This this is what I refer to as the radical edge, which was the, the primarily the topic of my second book. But it's but that's the idea. It's like we we need to integrate all of this for one very simple reason. We're one we're one person. We're not a different person when we go to work or a different person when we're with our family. We play different roles, but we're the same person. And I mean that literally. You know, the same person. Same DNA, same blood coursing through our veins, same memories, same everything, right? And right. this idea that somehow we're different is something we just made up. It's, just, it's bullshit. We just made it up. And you really feel strongly about this. I don't. I don't. No, I'm just. I'm just making that up. I don't. I, I no, think it's. No, we we got in a pretty well. We got a pretty big quarrel before the show, and I, I I wasn't even going to bring this up. But you are so anti-cooperation, and I am complete <laughs> opposite of that. And, and I believe collaboration is really important. In fact, at the uh, thank thankfully uh, Sharon uh, Frame and Gita got me into this uh, leadership leadercast event, and I saw the power that a leader has when they bring out the best in people and not looking yes. for what yeah. they, that's such an important quality. Who, who do you think is a great leader right now that's showing, uh, I guess, really good examples of how to, how to be? So first of all, I want to make sure that your listeners understand that I was speaking tongue in cheek when we were talking before. <laughs> I'm not anti-collaboration. <laughs> I think love is important, but collaboration is stupid. <laughs> no, that doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, of course, uh, you know, the, we're working together to accomplish something extraordinary is the only way that we're going to change the world. Um, as, far as, as far as great leaders, um, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll answer that. I'll give you one example. I'll give you one example, but I'm only going to give you one because I'm a little reluctant to answer that question. And the reason is, when I, when I talk about leaders that, that you know, they're famous leaders, um, they're, they're not the kind of leaders that you and I work with every day unless, we're in, unless we run in that circle. And the way most of us experience a celebrity leader or a politician or somebody in the news is through the news, we, through the filter of, of, uh, of the media and sound bites and all of that. So I don't want to hold anybody up as an example unless I really know them. But one exception, the one exception I would make to that um, is, is Warren Buffett. Um, I don't know him personally. Uh, I've never met him. Uh, I've read a lot about him. I, there's, there's a great documentary uh, about him that's, that's out right now on, uh, I think it's HBO, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and it's phenomenal. And what I love about him is that here's a guy who is so brilliant with numbers, and that accounts for a lot, of his, a lot of his success and his ability to determine you know, undervalued companies and buy them at the right time and, and all that. But his, what he does, and I think I might have quoted him in, in the speech that you heard me give, Ken. Yes. Um, he says, even when all the numbers look great, before, before he buys a company, he has to sit down in the same room with the CEO, and he has to look into his or her eyes, and he's looking to see if the love is there if the love of the business is there. 
So he recognizes that it's not all about numbers. Numbers are important. It's a big part of, of determining economic value. But ultimately, it's about the heart. And then, and then in, you know, his example, to take his billions of dollars and decide to give it away, because, you know, as, as, he, as he says it himself, I don't really see what utility it has for me to have all this. It's going to have a much bigger impact if the right people, you know, are using it for good things. So he gives it to, you know, to his pal uh, Bill Gates at the, you know, the Gates Foundation. And I just think that's an incredible example to set. So he's the only celebrity that I would hold up as a guy that, that uh, I think really exemplifies extreme leadership in a lot of ways. But again, you know, we look at him and we go, we're not Warren Buffett. I don't work with Warren Buffett. So for me, I get my inspiration from the people that I meet every day that nobody's heard of. They're famous in their own organizations. They're famous in their own business because of, of the great work that they do. And I can name several of them, but you wouldn't, not, you wouldn't know who they are. Uh, yeah. So instead, I'd like you to, I, you know, I focus on having people become, become the extreme leader they can be in the context in which they work. Well, I will just say that Ken Courtright, a lot of people may not know him, but he created this digital footprint, and inside his business of sharing technology, he gives an opportunity for everyone to donate whatever they're comfortable donating to a cause, like to feed a billion, or whatever the causes he brings on stage, and they get $2,000 worth of the video that covers the entire event that memorializes, obviously, all the notes you'd have to take. And I think that's brilliant way of mixing the, the leadership with contribution and purpose. So, yeah, I do too. And and I also, you know, to be um, just to be hyper vigilant about what I'm saying here. This is, I, I agree with you, and this is also why I'm reluctant to hold up individuals as examples because then our our tendency is to go. It's that attribute that makes that person the great leader, right? Okay. So you yes. see the example of Warren Buffett, and we focus in on, well, look at all the billions of dollars he's giving away. That's what makes him a great leader. That's not what I'm saying. But, but that's, I mean, it's a big part of it. It's a part of what, you know, it's an expression of who he is, I think, more than anything else. But if you were to hold up any famous business leader, right, like Steve Jobs, for example, so I can say Steve Jobs is an extreme leader, right? He loved his company. He created, he changed the world. He, he, um, you know, he has technology, his, his uh, high standards for creativity and, and innovation are legendary, made a great company that has the greatest cash value of anything we've ever seen, et cetera, et cetera. But then you can go like, yeah, but the guy was an ego. He was a pain in the ass to work with. People hated his guts. You know, there's always, there, there, are, there are many sides to all this. It's not as simple as, as holding up, you know, one shining example. So that's why I like to focus on what are the attributes that we, e- that we each need to develop in our own way to become the kind of leader that can change at least our piece of the world for the better. And, and you know, in my, and I didn't make this stuff up. This is based on years and years and years and years and years of lots of observation, being involved in a lot of research and, and being influenced by great, amazing mentors. I will tell you, that even though it's not 100% of the equation, if you can learn how to cultivate love for what you do and who you do it with, generate energy around the purpose and cause that you're, that you're working towards, uh, inspire an audacious mindset, which is a mindset that's not encumbered by normal constraints and is really focused on, on, on 
on blowing the roof off of this place in, in the most positive sense and proving yourself through your own actions every day, love, energy, audacity, and proof, you're going to find a way to do that in your own context, with your own style, through the, 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 um, the, your own voice, your own authenticity, and, and by focusing on those elements both individually and then taking those principles and applying them culturally, we can really change we can really change things. And, you know, examples are important. I tell a lot of stories, as you know. But, but it's, it's really focusing on those attributes and asking myself, what can I do to more fully live out those principles? I have found them to be really to be the magic bullets in this whole thing. Well, without getting too political, what would you say are the attributes people could learn from, for instance, Obama and Trump to be a a bigger, more effective leader? Um, man, our weather, you know, it's, it's a little cloudy here today. How's the weather where you are? Man, I'll tell you, it is. A, it, we're getting a lot of weather here. <laughs> Answer yeah, as you so, wish. Uh, oh, was that, was, that a, uh, was that an eloquent dodge? Did you like how I changed the subject on that? Um, so, so listen, I'll, I'll say something about that, but I, I want to preface it by saying I do not, I do not talk about politics. And, you know, for reasons that I think are pretty obvious to everybody, you know, we are so polarized and it doesn't really matter what the point is that oftentimes people miss the point of an example just when it's mixed in with a name that they feel strongly about either positively or negatively. Um, so let me, let me say this, regardless of, of, of who you are as a politician or who you are as a leader, what I would love for everybody to understand is, is that once we are in a position where we're recognized by others as being a leader, as being in a leadership role, people watch everything we do. And they listen to everything that we say. And those things that we say and those things that we do are, are interpreted as direct reflections of what, who we are and what we stand for and what we're asking other people to do, right? So regardless of what you think of, uh, say, Donald Trump's politics, um, what I would say to him, if, uh, and this is never going to happen, but if I were invited to give my feedback, it would, it would be just to remind him of that, that, that you don't, listen, when you're communicating as a citizen, that's one thing. When you're communicating as the president of the United States, uh, people give symbolic meaning to everything you say, whether it's in the form of a tweet or an offhand remark. And I, I think I, I just, you know, a, a lot of people have given him, you know, have given this analysis that this is a new arena for him and maybe he just doesn't understand it. And I think sometimes I just wish that all of us, no matter if we're Trump or Obama or, or Jane Smith, that once we're in, in a leadership role, to understand that our own words and our own behavior is our raw material. That's, that's what we can use to hold ourselves out as an example and, and to understand that people are going to be taking their examples from us, whether we intended or not. It doesn't really matter what our intention is. That's the, rea- the reality is people watch and listen to everything that we do. And this is true. You don't have to be a politician for this to be true, right? If you are leading your company, if you're, if you're, the, if you're a supervisor of a team or whatever, 
the minute you have that designation, when you walk into a room, people watch you, they watch your facial expressions, they watch the decisions that you make, they watch the way you interact with people, they watch the way you, you, you talk to customers, and they compare that to the other words that they hear, like what our values are supposed to be around here, the things that you're asking me to do. Like if you're, if you're my boss and you tell me I should be, you know, I should treat our customers like they're the center of our universe, and then you go and have an argument with one of our customers and treat them like crap, then this whole idea just goes right out the window. So your own credibility is the foundation for what you're asking me to do. Does that make sense? It totally does, and thanks for answering the question. I, uh, I wonder where your inspiration came. Before you read your own books that you wrote, what, what books did you read that inspired you to take on this topic? Yeah, there are, um, there are several that, that are really that deeply inform what I do, and they're all, I'll, I'll name uh, at least three, and, and just as important as the books are the people who wrote them. Mm-hmm. because they're also my mentors. So first and foremost, if I, had to, if I had to go in order, I'd say the top of the list is a book called The Leadership Challenge by Jim Kouzis, that's spelled K-O-U-Z-E-S, and Barry Posner, P-O-S-N-E-R. It's just about to come out in its uh, sixth edition, and it is the definitive work on uh, the, the definitive research on leadership. Uh, so if you haven't read it, you really need to read it. And Jim was one of my mentors. So I, w- I worked at a company called the Tom Peters Company for uh, uh, it, you know through the mid '90s, and you know um, I started there in '94 and left in, in 2000. I was vice president of that company, and that leads me to the second, which is Tom Peters, uh, who's the author of many books, including In Search of Excellence. Um, the ones that had had more of an influence on me were. A little bit more, uh, they're giant books, but, but uh, not quite as um, well-known as In Search of Excellence. A book called Liberation Management and another one called Thriving on Chaos, which I, I still are just amazing books. Um, and then finally, a book called Leading Out Loud by Terry Pierce, who is one of the finest executive coaches on the planet. And it's all about authenticity in leadership and authentic communication. Um, and those, those books have deeply informed my own work, as well as the authors that wrote them. They're all people that, that I know personally and, and have been significant mentors in my life. Awesome. I'm going to check them out. If someone was to take a hanker into this extreme leadership and they were to look at your three books, which one would you recommend they uh, read first? Um, you know, my knee-jerk reaction is to say The Radical Leap. So there are, there are three books. The Radical Leap is the first. The Radical Edge is the second. And the third is a book called Greater Than Yourself. Um, Which I think you, should have been, I think it should have been The Radical, Greater Than Yourself, just so you know. No, it's just Greater Than Yourself. We took a departure from the Radical thing in that title. <clears throat> the Radical Yourself. Um, so so leap, leap and Edge, as I like to call them for short, um, are really kind of, uh, continuations of the of the same story. So, and they're all stories, by the way. They're all novels. So, um, if you don't tip, like the typical business book, then you'll enjoy these because they're they're novels. They're stories, um, and I've been told they're pretty good. Um, so, 
The Radical Leap is really the foundational book. That's the one that lays out love, energy, audacity, and proof. So you can read any one of them in any order. It doesn't really matter. But ideally, you're going to want to read Leap first and then Edge. And then Greater Than Yourself is the path that a lot of people take, but not necessarily. So, for example, Greater Than Yourself is, uh, I consider it to be a specific application of extreme leadership. And the premise is very simple. The greatest leaders become the greatest leaders not by focusing on their own greatness, but by focusing on other people's greatness. In other words, the greatest leaders become that way by making others greater than themselves. So it's really a book, um, you know, it's a concept about putting aside your ego and investing yourself in other people to raise them up so that, that they end up being more successful at this, whatever this is, than you are. And 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 it seems it seems a little bit paradoxical, but that's how we that's how we get to be counted as among the greatest leaders is by our, our ability to crank out superstar after superstar. So you could start with any of those books, and thank you for asking. But uh, my preference is that everybody reads all of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, you know, as any, as any author's preference should be. I have to say. Right. Well, I, I'm going to give my audience, a, I guess, a little bit of a hack because I had breakfast with you and I learned and I feel like if I don't tell this information my audience, I'm kind of depriving them of a way to get your books for free. So if they go to your workshop, you give the books to the, all the participants for free, don't you? I do. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So what, um, is that a cool hack? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's part of, we, we make, uh, well, Leap and Edge are part of our, uh, we just make it part of our workshop materials. So we, we have a really cool set of participant materials with uh, you know, not, not just uh, you know, the standard workbook that you get there, but also uh, uh, what we call a, a daily handbook for extreme leaders and then those books and a couple of other, couple of other goodies that we give away. And uh, so, yes, that is, that is a great way to get the books. That's <laughs> my, preferred, my preferred way. Come to the workshop and get them there. Well, I, I got to admit, I wasn't even going to go to the workshop, but when I heard there were free books, I was like, I'm going to the workshop. <laughs> yes, that's, that's usually what pulls people in the door. <laughs> you know, I, I know that you are uh, wanting a lot more political questions, but if you don't mind, I have a question that's really off-base, nothing to do with pol- politics. Is that okay? That'd be, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your favorite musical instrument, and uh, who's, who's your favorite artist, because you're in the music quite a bit, aren't you? I'm a guitar player. Um, I've been a guitar player for since I was 13 years old, which is, if I do the quick math on that, uh, a long time ago. <laughs> um, so, yes, a guitar is my favorite in- instrument by far. And I think it's partially because I, I, I'm a player, so I, I really, and when I hear a really great player, like, uh, and I'm a blues guy primarily, although I love all kinds of music. Um, you know, when I, when I, when I listen to Stevie Ray Vaughan, when he was really at his best, it's, it's, a, it's a spiritual experience for me. Um, so, and partially because I, I know what it takes to play like that. And it's so far beyond what I'm capable of that it has kind of that magic quality to it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge music fan. I am... Uh, uh, I'm working on uh, on really bringing that, bringing the music and the performance of music more fully into my into my professional life. 
um, and it's, it's become kind of a, a, a new old passion of mine again to the point where in my, in my keynotes now, I didn't do this at Digital Footprint because I, I didn't have you know, much time to work with, but I actually um, have been playing music, playing the guitar in the context of my Extreme Leadership keynotes. And That's very it's, cool. uh, it's, really been, it's really been something. It's, it's been really well received and it's been incredibly gratifying. What do you think of Eric Clapton? What do I think? What? Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton. So here's what here's what that sounded like. How? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this. Uh, I'm in a hotel room and I'm hoping that you were hearing me. But Eric Clapton <laughs> is who I asked about. Oh, Eric Clapton. I've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. he's a guitar player. Yeah. No, I like I like Eric Clapton a lot. I have I have great, uh, uh, you know, tremendous respect for who he is and what he's done and, and his playing. Um, but I wouldn't count him among my favorite, my favorite players. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I'll tell you, one of the things that I really love about what he's done is with his uh, Crossroads Festival, um, you know, sharing the stage with all these amazing players and giving great visibility to people that, you know, incredible players that, that folks hadn't heard of until they, you know, until they step on his stage. So I, I have a huge respect for him for doing that kind of work as well. And I was kind of going that direction with the extreme leadership uh, theme of someone like Bono. Bono uses his platform, his music, to actually make a huge difference in the world. And uh, I was wondering if you had any other examples or people that you love as musicians because they live in extreme leadership. Yeah, I, you know, first of all, I, I really, you know, I love this idea that, you know, whenever actors or musicians or people with a platform get involved in causes or get political and, you know, the backlash is always, well, you're just a musician. Who the hell are you to talk about what's happening in the world? Just, just play your music and shut up is, is insane to me. Because it's like saying, oh, you're, you're an accountant. You know, what the hell do you have to say about Or you're a, you're a plumber or you're a, well, we're all a something. We're also all <laughs> citizens and members of this planet. So if you have a platform where people will listen to you, I, shame on you if you don't use it for something that you're, that you're passionate about, particularly for something that, that, that can really change the world, you know. Uh, you know, politics, again, always gets a little bit polarizing, but, but to really take, you know, take on a cause or just to help people. Um, so there, there are, uh, you know, in general, I like it when people, when people do that, when they're using that platform to, you know, to, to spread some good or to respond to a crisis or to, um, you know, galvanize people to, to cause a, you know, to, to, uh, cure a, a major social issue. Uh, I just love it when people do that from any stance. So, you know, if you've got a big platform like Bono does, then yeah, absolutely. But I'll tell you one that, that you're get, you're, you haven't, <laughs> this, is, this is going to sound a little bit, a little bit out of left field. Um, there's somebody that I've come to know very well over the last several years. And he, uh, his, name, his name is J.J. French, whose name you probably don't know, but you no, probably do know the band... Twisted Sister. Of course. Yeah. So JJ We're not gonna is take the it. founder of Yeah, so Dee Snyder is the famous frontman for, for Twisted Sister, and you know their famous songs are We're Not Gonna Take It and I Wanna Rock. And mm-hmm. you know, We're Not Gonna Take It is, is 
one of, if I'm not mistaken, one of the most licensed songs ever. And so JJ is the founder of the band. Not only is he a guitarist for the band, but he's the founder, the manager, uh, the owner of the brand, uh, and he's the business guy. And he's, and he's brilliant, and he's hilarious, and he's an entrepreneur. So he's, been, he's actually been writing for Inc., so you can look him up there. Uh, and basically what he's doing is taking his experience in the rock and roll business and sharing what he's learned with other entrepreneurs from that business because he is like a quintessential entrepreneur, a brilliant guy. So I know his story really well because we're, um, we're actually working on, um, we're working on his book. I'm, I'm helping him with his book to capture oh, all so his cool. ideas. That's it's really very cool. cool. And it's, uh, you know, we're just getting going with it, and uh, you know, we're going to try to have the manuscript finished up by November and then release it next year. But, but I love that. You know, so here's a guy. He's not so much using a platform. I mean, they just had their, they had their um, a farewell tour this last summer, 40 years. <laughs> 40 years. That's crazy. Um, so, you know, they're still in business from the licensing standpoint and all that. They're just not touring anymore. But he's using his platform as a way to share his knowledge, to share his learning with other entrepreneurs, you know, so that they, they don't, for one thing, make the same mistakes that they did. And these guys, their story is amazing because they failed and failed and failed and failed and failed and succeeded and succeeded and failed and then succeeded and then failed and then succeeded and then failed and then failed and then made it big. And that's just a slight exaggeration. So, you know, all those lessons that get learned in every step of the way, then to turn around and say, I want other people to to understand what I've learned so they don't make the same mistakes. Or when they do, they can derive, you know, the the most benefit from those mistakes because we all make mistakes and we all, you know, fail, as it's called, from time to time. So um, it's really been been fun to be... uh, to get a glimpse behind the curtain into the, the rock and roll business and see how really it's just another business and the lessons are pretty universal. Well, I'm thinking about uh, Jack Canfield, how his presentation today really speaks to the points you're making in the show about extreme leadership, about he talks about persistence, he talks about asking better questions, and one of the questions he said, if, if this can't happen, then how could it happen? And, and it's really thinking in a way for instance, uh, for his book, he says, okay, 144 publishers have turned us down, and you just turned us down as well. What would it take? How could this happen? And, and the guy says, if you can get 20,000, uh, if we get 20,000 books to sell, we'd have the money to do the editing, distribution, everything. And so for the next year, every time he went in a presentation, he passed out papers to his audience and said, if you will commit to uh, so many books, we need to add them all up. And he got his 20,000, That's how, and the rest is history. So uh, everything you've been saying today just really aligns so much with uh, the, the person that you said really is a hero of yours, too. Well, you know, I'm, as I'm fond of saying, if I can quote, if I can be so presumptuous as to quote myself. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, hey, wait, before you do, before you do. I just yeah. I want to ask a favor. You had in, did an impersonation about three or four minutes ago of a guy who'd had about three gin and tonics, and was <laughs> and was saying, <laughs> "Who are you to use a platform if you're not if you're a musician?" So if you do, if you'd like to do this uh, quote, so no one will know it's exactly you, that'd be pretty cool. 
Well, no, I actually have to. I, I have to take uh, because it's it's a first it's a first person quote. Okay. Uh, okay. So yeah, so here it is. Uh, but I can still say it in that if you like. <laughs> You know, along the lines of, just to give, give it the right context, you said, you know, listening to Jack's message is very congruent to this message, and that's because I, 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 I'm not making this shit up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not like I, I came up with this stuff in a vacuum, and isn't it amazing that other people have, have you know, have arrived at the same conclusion? My, my, my conclusions, if and conclusion is too strong a word because I don't think anything is conclusive. But my, you know, where I've arrived with, with all these ideas is based on, it's based on observation. It's based on experience. It's what works. What have I seen that really works for people? And, and when I, you know, really, after spending all this time in business, when I, when I strip away all the, you know, all the norms and the expectations, I just ask what really works. The people that are incredible leaders that I've met over the years, what do they have in common? And it's really a very simple, profound conclusion. They love. They love what they're doing. They love who they're doing it with. They want to see their people become more successful than they are. They don't try to grab the glory. They just want to make a difference. So when I say, yeah, it's really all about love, and somebody else says, well, I've seen that already. Of course you have. That's the whole point. Um, you know, so a lot of times I'll hear feedback like, uh, you know, somebody will read greater than yourself, for example, and, and they'll say, wow, I, I've already been doing that. I just didn't know what it was called. And that's exactly right. This is based on lots of observation of people that do this kind of thing and therefore get their success. I'm just trying to capture it and put it in a format that's entertaining for people, that's relevant to people, that's it's applicable, you know, so there's not theory and philosophy, but it's, re- but it's really, you know, right down where we live so we can begin to take new steps to accomplish new things. Is this accurate, Steve, when you, uh, say, take yourself out of the equation so you can focus on who you're serving as a leader? Is that Yeah, is I that don't know with- that, that uh, you know, speaking for myself, um, because you know, I try not to advocate for anything that I that I am not at least really striving to model myself, right? But mm-hmm. you know, I I um, I can't say that I fully take myself out of the equation, but I can say that uh, I'm pretty good at, at setting my ego aside and asking what's right for this person that I'm serving. Um, the the adage or the mantra or the manifesto that I use is. Do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. So you're in it in that you're doing what you love, but you're using that in order to give, in order to serve people, to give great value to other people. Gotcha. To, to such an extent that the result is they love you in return. So we're never taking ourselves fully out of the equation. We're just not in it to feed our own ego. That's, that's the key. Gotcha. That's the distinction. Well, I know that Agita has a question that's related to your comments on love. So, Gita, why don't you ask that question? Yes, indeed. Uh, you just mentioned that love is just damn good business. So, can you elaborate a little more? Because it's generally, people tend to think that it's too soft and squishy, and especially mostly business people. So, can you uh, elaborate a little more for us, please? 
Yeah, sure. So I'll make the, I understand that, you know, business people tend to, uh, they tend to brush that off and call it, you know, California touchy feely hoo-ha crap or whatever. Uh, <laughs> kumbaya, you know, and it's, yeah. it's so far from that. And here's, here's the business case for it in a nutshell. As business people, we want our customers to love our product, service, company, et cetera. Right? We want our customers to love us, to love what we do for them. If, if they don't, if they're only satisfied, we have no loyalty because they can get satisfied anywhere. When they love us, that's where the money comes from. That's where the loyalty comes from. That's where the word of mouth comes from. So any business person worth his or her salt understands that our objective should be to have our customers love what we do for them. Right? That's the business uh, uh, foundation. Now, how do you do that? How do you make that happen in a sustainable and meaningful way over time? By creating a culture that people love working in. If I hate this place, I'm not going to create a, a, an experience that my customers are going to love. If I love this place and I'm, I'm more committed to it, I'm going to be more creative, I'm going to be more productive, I'm going to be more innovative, I'm going to be more responsive to our customers. So we want to create an environment that people love working in. That's our best recruitment strategy, retention strategy, etc. And... Therefore, there is no way to do that. There's no way to create that kind of culture unless I love it myself first. So it's, it's really about my own personal connection to the work that I do, manifesting that on a cultural level so it becomes part of what we do, and that becomes part of what our customer experiences. So it's just damn good business. If we start with what we want our customers to experience, and then work it back from there, we're left with no other conclusion than I need to cultivate my own love for the people that I work with and the business that I do. Well, we're getting down to the last couple of minutes, and I want to give an opportunity for you to share how people can follow you. But before I do, uh, did I give you a no-nonsense book? Did I give you one of my books, the no-nonsense nonsense book? I don't think you gave me that one. Okay, because I need to send that to you. Because I was going to ask you how many years that set you back in progress and thinking about leadership, because it's uh, it really does make people <laughs> typically. <laughs> yes, I saw you talk about it from the stage, but I, I don't. I didn't actually get a copy of the book. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're someone that needs to have it, but please be forewarned. You do uh, finish the book being dumber than you were before you started. So just be Excellent. careful there. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I can usually do that pretty well on my own, but you know that's okay. I can use some help. Well, we're going to do some quick round, Rob. We've got a couple minutes. Uh, so what is a quote that you live by? Can it be one of my own? It can, of course. I'll give you somebody else's. I'll give you Terry Pierce's. Um, so Terry, uh, who I mentioned earlier, the author of Leading Out Loud, it's my, one of my all-time favorite quotes. He said, there are many people who think they want to be matadors only to find themselves in the ring with 2,000 pounds of bull bearing down on them. And then discover that what they really wanted was to wear tight pants and hear the crowd roar. <laughs> Beautiful. Gita? Yes, I'm here. So, can you hear me okay? Of course. Yep. Perfect. So, what is your favorite charity, Steve? My favorite charity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just want to make sure I heard you right. Um, it's actually something here in, in uh, the San Diego area. Uh, called the Oceanside Promise Foundation. I just happen to be on the board of that foundation as well. So the Oceanside Promise is 
is in the, the uh, Oceanside School District, which is a very diverse uh, school district here in San Diego. The Oceanside promises that every kid that goes through their school system will graduate. That's one thing. Every kid will graduate, and, they'll, and they will each, each of them graduate career and college ready. Uh, so that's 20,000 kids in that, uh, in that district. Uh, this was started by their superintendent, Dwayne Coleman, who's uh, a friend of mine. And I, you know, we, it's going to take a lot of money to make that happen. But this is not a wish. It's something that we're going to do. Well, we'll put a link on that. And how do people follow you, Steve? Uh, SteveFarber.com is where I live online. Uh, so there's, there's lots of things. There's a lot of content. There's a lot of videos to watch. There is uh, an audio series, a free audio series that people can sign up for, which I get some really good feedback on. Um, so I, I know people will enjoy it because I've been told that quite a few times. And, uh, and then uh, the blog lives there as well. So I, I, I post uh, pretty frequently on, uh, on the blog at stevefarber.com. Okay, so we have about 10 seconds. What are you most proud of? Uh, I'm proud of the influence that I'm having on people. I'm proud of the, uh, uh, every time I get an email from somebody who's told me how these ideas have changed their life, or every time I hear from a company who have changed their culture uh, to accomplish amazing things because they've, they've uh, brought in love, energy, audacity, and proof, that makes it all worthwhile. And I'm, I have to say I'm deeply gratified by that. Well, we are proud to have had you on the show. You've been amplified, and God bless you, Steve. I want to have you back on the show, and please practice that impersonation because we want the whole interview to be with that impersonation you did earlier. <laughs> okay, you guys. <laughs> All right, brother. Take care of yourself. Again. Thank you so much. See you in a couple months. Take care. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplify. Be sure to join Ken Rashawn again next Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, go get your message heard.